Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 9th of August 2012. For newcomers, I advise you to make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find over a thousand audios for a free download where I go through the system you're born into, that your parents were born into and your grandparents were born into. They didn't know that the world's been guided by a small group really of people, very important, very, very wealthy people. Uh, and into a particular new world order using science down below them, think tanks and everything else to change society radically to create a, a universal culture, if you like, but also to depopulate along the way. And they've also used the people to fight their battles and take down the last few countries as we're going through today. All plans over 100 years ago. They're taking over the resources of the planet too. Uh, that's including the human resources, water, food, everything that you need to live on, and all natural resources and minerals, etc. So help yourself to the audios there. And remember too, all the sites listed on cuttingthroughthemedias.com website have audios for download. They also have transcripts in English for print-up. And if you go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, you can find transcripts in other languages. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't bring on advertisers as guests and I don't take advertising money and um, I have no shares in any products being sold. So I depend upon the people to support me and just keep me ticking along, hopefully. And things are pretty bad right now because the prices in Canada just skyrocketed in food and everything else, actually, way above what the U.S. pays. Plus, we pay taxes on top of everything as well for pretty much everything you buy. So donations are really welcome. And you can also buy the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. From the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can use personal checks or international postal money orders. Some people send cash, and you can also use PayPal. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. Remember, straight donations are really seriously welcome. What I do here is simply... Point out the bad stuff, the real stuff. You know, I don't put you a coating on anything. I don't give you any false hopes that uh, things will stay the same. You find most people really, when, when they say we've got to stop this, what they really mean is we want to stop this particular day as it is forever and don't let it get any worse, really. See, we've already changed from five years ago. We've all adapted into the new system. And 10 years ago, 20, 30, 40 years ago, people are constantly adapting and they're always trying to keep uh, themselves, especially if they're doing okay financially, in that position forever. They don't really care what happens once they're dead or anything else, but that's what most people talk about when they say, well, we'll stop this. Stop it right here for me. That's what they mean by it. They don't really care about the, that your tax money is blowing people up across the planet or that your tax money is going to abort people across the planet and sterilize them too. Most folk really don't care about that. They keep it themselves, their own little routine that they have, and their parties at the weekends and the fun that they have. That's really what people care about, unfortunately. And that's why there's no organized resistance against what's happening. And it's been happening for a long time, as generations. The culture you have today was given, was made up for you. 
and the culture has been awfully successful for destroying what they call the family unit from the 1800s. I had this thing, remember. The family unit and then separating the bonding process from from the sexual act until anything goes and everything does go today. Because that way you won't bring uh, children into the world, that's what they hope. And if you do uh, get pregnant, the state will take care of it for you. And now we're doing the same across the rest of the world. Because you see, we're in a time of depopulation. Uh, the boys at the trot not only are the international bankers of their day, they're also funded uh, the scientific communities, they still do. They run the scientific community. They tell them what to investigate and how it, what they're after and how to get it done. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. And yesterday, one of the articles I read was from England, from London, actually, from the city of London, where one of the top profile barristers or lawyers had been charged with uh, having dangerous material or an obscene material uh, that could lead to bodily harm, etc., to do with his preferences and homosexuality for fisting and all that kind of stuff. And I mentioned also how the culture has gone down the tubes and how they're using this as a test case to normalize all this behavior, you see, as, as because everyone's really been at, well, they have. Children have grown up watching pornography on the Internet all the time. They're given all this stuff at school. And so the whole article was about, is this normalized now, this behavior? It's normalized, you see. And other weird things that the guy did with his little weenie. Uh, he stuck things up that too, and that's normalized as well. So anything goes today. But I, go for, I jump from there to the, the affection society. And here's the one to do with the, Can- the Canadian murderer, homosexual guy, who he did a few low-budget porn movies apparently, and then he, he killed a guy on video and cut him up into pieces. And uh, he used the guy's arm after the, after the cutting apparently to fist himself on the screen. And then ran off to Germany, and then he was caught, brought back to Canada. But here, it says here, this is the guy here, Luca Magnota, that's the name he changed it to. He files a motion to keep his sex study private, because he was part of a sex study apartment. And it says, Montreal, Luca Magnota has filed a motion to keep confidential certain items seized during the investigation that led to his being charged with murder, notably an interview conducted by two criminologists with a research subject known as Jimmy. I guess he was Jimmy. The criminologist Christine Brookert and Colette uh, Parent, both professors at the University of Ottawa, whose research centres on the sex industry, also have filed a motion to keep the interview seized by the police confidential. Most of Magnota's case file is sealed, including the search warrant executed at the law offices at Lex Canada in Toronto on June the 22nd, three years after Magnota was arrested in an internet cafe in Berlin. He's charged with brutally killing and dismembering Lin Jun, a Chinese student at Concordia University in Montreal, and posting the gruesome video of the murder online. But on two separate motions presented in Superior Court Friday, McNota and the professor state their intention to challenge the search warrant on the basis of confidentiality privilege. 
as he's reached in Toronto, Bagnoz's lawyer, Luke Leclerc, refused to comment on the motion or on whether his client is in fact the Jimmy that was interviewed for research purposes. Well, since they're all involved in it, it obviously is. It says the research was conducted by Adam McLeod on behalf of Brookert and Parent. It says Magnota was born Eric Clinton uh, Newman, but is known to have used the alias Jimmy, amongst others, before undergoing a legal name change in 2006 to officially become Luca Rocco Magnota. He went by the name Jimmy when he appeared as a pin-up model in a 2005 issue of Toronto's Fab magazine. And he may also have sought work as an escort using Jimmy as a pseudonym. He got involved in the pornography industry in 2003, appearing in eight films as either Luca or Jimmy. Brookerton Perrin's work, some of which was funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, centred on the sex trade, and together they published several articles and book chapters for which they interviewed sex workers, male, female and transgender, about their lives and working conditions in an attempt to improve their lot and destigmatize their work. Well, had a bad one here that didn't help, that didn't very much, did he? Luca kind of went a bit far, didn't he? But they probably contest that in the British law courts now. What is, you know, what is normal anymore? That's, you know, so this will be part of normality eventually too. They were adamant about strict confidentiality. If a recent study called Challenges Ottawa Area Sex Workers Speak Out, all interviewers had to sign confidentiality agreements, all data was transmitted in person, and all electronic data was encrypted. That particular study involved 43 participants, including seven men, recruited by posting flyers at locations known to be frequented by sex workers and advertising on Internet sites used by sex, sex workers. Neither Brookert nor parents would comment Friday on the motion. But in a written statement, a Canadian Association of University Teachers, which represents Brookert and Parents, said the professor's work, like that of many social and health scientists, depend on pledging and maintaining strict confidentiality to the research subjects. That provides the basis on which researchers can gather information and data to better understand many forms of human behavior and to provide the basis for appropriate social policy. In other words, to, to, to change your minds to how you view it. <laughs> In defending the confidentiality of the research subjects, they're fulfilling their ethical obligations, etc., etc. So here you go again. Here's the government involved in it and giving up grants involved in it. And this guy ends up murdering, uh, chopping to pieces uh, a guy on video, just for the S&M lovers, and then uses part of the body to fist himself. And um, uh, this is what's going on, folks, is they normalize everything and, and make you see it in a different light altogether. See, you're adapting all the time. See, everyone's being corrupted whether they know it or not. And this, this, uh, this is a big, big agenda. It comes from the very, very top, this agenda. That's the only reason you've got this agenda getting pushed through. The next article, too, is to do the part of our degradation. Of course, we all accept this is normal today. Uh, and because we are adaptable, we adapt to what we're told to adapt to by the boys who own us. And they do own us. But it says, um, David Camera and Melinda Gates talk with activists during the summit on family planning. This is a big, big summit. It says, Dave did not spend all last week brawling with backbenchers in Westminster's corridors. He also found time to look in at the family planning summit in London. This is where they call it family planning as you go across the world aborting children and um, sterilizing a lot of women as well. 
co-hosted by his government and billionaireist Melinda Gates, and some say uh, and say some encouraging words. The jamboree attracted an array of African presidents and Asian and European politicians, along with major pharmaceutical companies. Well, naturally, this is big business. The conference aimed to raise $4 billion to promote birth control in developing countries, and the event it netted $4.6 billion instead. The Gates Foundation agreed to raise its contribution to $1 billion over the next eight years, and big-hearted Dave trumped, trumped that by pledging £1.4 billion of British taxpayers' money over the same period. Uh, it says, recession, what recession? The conference was part of Melinda Gates' no-controversy no controversy campaign to sanitize the image of family planning. Sanitize it. You know, they flush babies down in buckets, actually. That's what they do. Of his associates with population control, compulsory sterilization, and abortion. In keeping with anodyne approach, the UK government's Department for International Development published a feel-good video featuring, featuring Mama Nasha, a 21-year-old mother of two from Malawi, who expressed, expressed optimism about her future now that she'll have access to contraception. They get models for that, to do all this stuff, PR. It says, remember those Soviet films of smiling Ukrainian peasants with more state-of-the-art tractors than they knew what to do with. That's from the old Stalin days, and they, they, they starred them all to death. The Department for International Department, however, did not show a video of, of Rika Woznik, the wife of a poor laborer in uh, Madhya Pradesh, India, pregnant with twins who bled to death after a crude sterilization operation that was part of a program funded to the tune of £166 million by the UK government. India's Supreme Court recently heard evidence of coercive mass sterilization in appalling conditions under a program funded by Britain since 2005. Men and women were herded into makeshift camps. You better listen to this, folks. I hope you're getting the point what I'm saying here. This doesn't have to be over there somewhere, the way things are going. I hope you really understand this. Men and women were herded into makeshift camps to be sterilized without being told the purpose of the operation. Women were bribed with the equivalent of less than five pounds and a sari to wear. Others were threatened with the loss of their ration cards. Clinics received bonuses if they processed more than 30 operations per day, and one surgeon performed 53 abortions in two hours in premises without running water or facilities for cleaning instruments. Remember, the Gates and these boys are all into this stuff too and funding it as well because they want to really depopulate fast. They don't want all these people, you see, being genetically inferior, as they say, because they're all eugenicists at the top. They don't want them overpopulating their planet, you see. Says yet in 2010, the Department for International Development recommended continued support for the Reproductive and Child Health Program Phase 2. Its chief reason for doing so was to address climate change, they said. Having fewer people would reduce greenhouse gases, so kill them off. I hope you're listening. Last week, David Cameron told the Family Planning Summit, uh, it says, um, we have the moral argument. His advice on combating those who oppose the campaign on moral or cultural grounds was to rely on the force of our arguments, such as, here's a sari, or do you want to lose your ration card? Is that what he means? The tragic irony of this neo-colonialist bullying and killing of people in developing countries, supposedly for their own good, but actually to maintain Western lifestyles, is actually more than that, as we all know. Because Kissinger came out with that, uh, that bill a long time ago that said they'd have to really drastically kill down the third world countries. 
Is that not only, uh, as it's found, is, is an obvious myth, uh, such as man-made global uh, climate change, but the Malthusian panic over population control is also mythical. Of course, there are more people on the planet, but the population growth rate, once the influential increase shows, slows down, is dangerously dim- diminishing. A new phrase is entering the population lexicon, demographic winter. For example, it's widely assumed that Muslim countries have a high fertility rate. This is false. In policy review last month, Nicholas Eberstadt and Apurva Shah surveyed 48 of the 49 countries with Muslim-majority populations. Over the past three decades, these nations experienced a 41% decline in fertility rates. In 22 of them, the decline exceeded 50% or more. In Iran, it was over 70%. The source of these statistics was the United Nations. Population division and the authors expressed puzzlement that population specialists were not discussing this problem. Back with more on this topic after these messages. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and going through an article, a very good article from a Scotsman about the farce and, and the deception behind the abortion industry. This worldwide one that we're, we're all funding big time, by the way, because, see, that's the agenda from the big boys at the top. They want to depopulate the world. And they're not going to stop at the third world countries. Don't believe that. You're already plummeting in first world countries. Plummeting. And that's all by design, too, because folk did what they were told to do. Don't have children, don't get married. If you do get pregnant, have an abortion. The state will pay for it. Anyway, it says here that the UN's own uh, population division, division uh, they call it the Population Council, which is for depopulation, and the authors expressed puzzlement that population specialists were not discussing this problem. In, in other words, the fact that we're all plummeting. And all these Muslim countries were down 41%, and some in Iran's over 70% down, etc. It says there's an obvious explanation. There'd be no handouts for pharmaceutical companies, governments, and non-governmental organizations at a conference that told the world there is no problem. Go ahead and do what comes naturally. Globally, there's been a fertility drop of 1.3 children per woman. In the developing world, it's a drop of 2.2 children. Demented anti-fertility policies in China and India have dangerously upset the gender balance. A manpower crisis looms alongside an aging population. Grotesque rates of abortion, of which more than 40 million reported annually, are a misleading underestimate, aggravate the problem. Developing nations must reject Western demographic imperialism that degrades their people with the methods of stockyard, as they have already forced a retreat on US and UK attempts to make aid contingent on legislation of homosexuality. Someone has to break the news to Dave and the Department of Inter- for International Development. The Raj is over. No controversy in your dreams, Mr. Gates, it says here. So uh, it's a good article that ties in with some of the other things I've been talking about. And also from Russia comes uh, some protests about the, the U.S. and Britain uh, as they go through one country after another in the Middle East on behalf of another country. And but since Vladimir Zirinovsky has labeled the calls by U.S. senators demanding Barack Obama directly support the Syrian opposition absolutely unacceptable, saying his party would demand a Russian response. 
in an op-ed piece that appeared this week in the Washington Post. Three influential senators called on the Obama administration to directly and openly provide robust assistance to the armed opposition, including weapons, intelligence and training, which they've been doing all along anyway. The same boys as always, you know, with different citizenships, sometimes more than one. But it says Senator John McCain, Joe Lieberman and Lindsey Graham employed rather loose logic when they argued that by sitting on the sidelines of the Syrian battle, we're jeopardizing both our national security interests and our moral standing in the world. The leader of Russia's Liberal Democratic Party and its parliamentary faction, Vladimir Zirinovsky, described the article as a call for violently toppling the current government in Syria, which included the use of aviation and other U.S. assets. If President Obama follows the advice of Congress and acknowledges the need for armed, for armed support for the Syrian insurgents, the situation will become irreversible, he said. It says, in the event of U.S. military intervention in Syria, Zirinovsky warned that Syria will follow the fate of Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, and other countries whose sovereignty remains a status only on paper today. And that's true. See, you're taught that your country is the best in the world through massive propagandas trained into you from childhood and facts. But if you look what your country's been doing since World War II, it's way beyond what Hitler ever did. We've taken over more countries than he ever dreamed of, way beyond what the communists did too. One after another after another, because they're always bad, you see. They're always bad. Or as Bush Jr. said, we took out uh, um, the the guy in in, in Iraq because he's a bad man. We just didn't like him. So sovereignty really is just a piece of paper. That's all it is. And even though all these guys who are attacking the, the Middle East all signed with the United Nations, non-interventionist agreements where a country would handle its own internal affairs. When riots start inside the U.S., what's going to happen then? They'll they'll be Hippocratic again. And they'll say, well, it's different here. It says, although his party is opposed to outstanding or outside military interference in the affairs of independent states, if the U.S. Senator's calls for supporting the Syrian opposition with fire and sword are put into practice, the Liberal Democratic Party will insist on a Russian response, he says. If the Republican senators succeed in persuading the U.S. president to provide military support to the Syrian rebels, we, the LDPR, will demand that Russian leadership openly side with the Syrian government, the firebrand Russian politician added. Meanwhile, Zirakovsky believes there's no real opposition in Syria rather than international terrorists are, are acting there. Gangs of armed terrorists are acting in Syria under the guise of opposition status. Well, they've all been funded, as we've gone through the article last week, from the Royal Institute of International Affairs. It's been overthrowing governments for hundreds of years, actually. And the Council on Foreign Relations. It says it is only when uh, they, whom Senator McCain says, should be supported... Zirinkovsky has stressed that Russia should support the legitimate Syrian authorities, be it President Bashar al-Assad or his successor, elected according to the will of the Syrian people. The government of President Assad has been struggling for over a year to prevail against armed rebels who seek to bring down the government. Moscow has called on the West not to take sides in the conflict. So, someone speaking out about what is rather obvious. Now, the Council on Foreign Relations, as I say, you understand that they have their boys in every major paper. Uh, that's why they often refer you from the Council on Foreign Relations website to an article in the Washington Post or this or that or whatever because they have their own boys writing it. You see, they're all members. You've got to make sure you standardize all information going out to the public. 
So I'll read this article from the CFR when I come back from this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and... I've mentioned so many times, as I say, the Council on Foreign Relations are just one branch. They have it all across the whole planet. They give you your presidents and prime ministers, and their own historians have said that. They've done it for a hundred years. That's official. And uh, whatever they say is going to be the way it is. And every budding journalist knows to copy whatever they say. Plus, they have all their main uh, journalists out there. They're all members of the Council on Foreign Relations as well. It's an old thing. They got together in the 1930s. In fact, the big boys that ruled America then, and, and they f- did surveys to find out how many newspapers they'd have to control at that time to, to get standardized all media and standardize all the stories and the spins. And they came to the conclusion that 30 would do at that time. But they also would give ones for, say, bureaucratic circles, their own magazines and different classes and so on. And uh, today it's even beyond all that. Marketing and propaganda is, is perfect today. So wherever they say something, you can take it to the bank, because their masters already own the same banks anyway. But it says, domestic drones are here to stay. This is from the Council on Foreign Relations. And it's from Micah Zenko. It says, today you have a peace in foreign policy that assembles the use of surveillance drones by the Customs and Border Protection. While many are understandably anxious about the seemingly inevitable expansion of drones across the United States, I argue that many fears are either overblown or based on misperceptions. So he's telling you how you're supposed to think about them. And everybody who reads this stuff, will, and all the, the journalists out there, say budding journalists, will have to copy it if they want to get invited to join the CFR. The CBP already maintains the largest law enforcement air force in the world, with more than 270 manned aircraft of 20 different types, including modern Black Hawk helicopters. The terrifying photograph below comes from the CBP website, Customs and Border Patrol. In addition to its manned aircraft, the CBP has deployed nine unarmed Predator B drones, two on the border with Canada and seven along the border with Mexico. In total, drones make up roughly 3% of CBP aircraft tasked with patrolling U.S. borders and shores. Before getting carried away with the domestic drone schemes, concerned citizens should probably focus first on the other 97%. And um, it actually gives a, a photograph of the Black Hawk helicopters intimidating people on the highway by almost coming right down on top of them. Largely as a result of the onslaught of media attention over CIA and military drone strikes abroad, some are concerned that federal authorities could use drones for airstrikes at home as well. Although variants of the Predator can be equipped to, missile, to, to carry missiles, CBP drones will not bomb U.S. citizens. You can take his word for it, you know, right? At the same time, it's a common misperception that all drone, drones drop bombs. In reality, less than 4% of the Pentagon's 6,360 drones are capable of conducting strike missions. And in a voice vote regarding the Department of Homeland Security finding on June the 7th, the House of Representatives committees agreed none of the funds made available by this act may be used for the purchase, operation or maintenance of armed unmanned aerial vehicles. The anxieties over drones, whether abroad or at home, don't stem from the platform itself but in the mission 
In January 2010, for instance, the U.S. Air Force Global Hawk surveillance drone, originally bound for Afghanistan, was diverted in order to provide images to humanitarian relief groups. You see, this is what it's all for. It's for humanitarian relief. Less than 48 hours after the Haiti earthquake struck. At the same time, other U.S. drones are used by the exclusive branch to kill suspected militants and other military-age males in close proximity with little transparency and oversight. So all you have to be now to kill is a military-age male. Congress and the courts are responsible for assuring that drones flown above the U.S. do not threaten the U.S. citizens' right to privacy and civil liberties. As Louis Brandet and Samuel Warren noted in their increasingly relevant 1890 essay, The Right to Privacy, and by the way, that was the law for a long time up till now. I'll put that link up tonight as well. Instantaneous photographs and newspaper enterprise have invaded the sacred precincts of private and domestic life, and numerous mechanical devices threaten to make good the prediction that what is whispered in the closet shall be proclaimed from the housetops. Americans should expect and demand the right to be left alone, particularly from instantaneous photographs transmitted via drone. What about all the satellites as well? And how about Google, etc., etc.? In addition to Congress and courts, interested citizens should read up on domestic domestic drone use. Instead, I've sprinkled a number of useful sources on my piece. To that end, we are indebted to the dedicated journalists and watchdogs like Secrecy News, Electronic Freedom Forum, and Public Intelligence for providing invaluable reporting on this topic. So, in other words, don't worry about them. It can be humanitarian purposes. Even though their own Department of Defense in the U.S., like the one in Britain, uh, and their think tank came out with the same scenario of urban warfare throughout America and Britain and elsewhere in Europe in the years to come, and they'll use all weapons at their disposal. But never mind that. can believe this guy is from the Council on Foreign Relations. They've always been telling him the truth, right? And this article, too, is to do with... Um, Again, from the Council on Foreign Relations, but it says, uh, New York's police department's power of threat perception. Now, I'll just jump back to an earlier one that was done uh, years ago. It's from 2008. It was called at that time, uh, High-Tech Defense Perimeter. Let's hope it works. I'll put that article up tonight, too. But uh, this one here is to do, as I say, with uh, the present one, the the powers of threat perception. The New York Police Department unveiled a new domain awareness system. So that's the same one as the last one with a new name on Wednesday that combines and analyzes many streams of information to track possible criminals and terrorists. Well, there goes your right of privacy. This is from a different writer on this the Council on Foreign Relations. According to Mayor Michael Bloomberg, this new system capitalizes on new powerful policing software that allows police officers and other personnel to more quickly access relevant information gathered from existing cameras, 9-11 calls, previous crime reports, and other existing tools and technology. I guess that's drones. The program illustrates the growing power of data analytics technology to support counter-terrorism and law enforcement and raises questions about the appropriate limits and oversight of these processes. Concerns over surveillance. Right? Conce- oh, we're not concerned, right? The fiercest debates about domestic counter-terrorism since 9-11, Al-Qaeda attacks. How can it be Al-Qaeda when Al-Qaeda's are pal now? They're demolishing Syria. That was another CFR piece yesterday. They're pals. They're friends. Anyway, says, have, have generally focused on the methods by which government collects information. At the federal level, for example, controversy surrounding the NSA's warrantless surveillance programs in 2005 was intense. 
In New York City, the NYPD's reported programs to gather information on ethnic and religious communities have spurred demands from some quarters for tighter restrictions and oversight. Recently, public and congressional attention has shifted to emergent technologies such as unmanned drone aircraft and the pervasiveness of location tracking signals in mobile electronic devices and, again, the authority of government to collect information on individuals. So the NYPD's domain awareness system shows the significant intelligence value of analytic technologies for integrating various government information caches. In announcing the program, which is governed by guidelines and safeguards developed several years ago, the Mayor's Office emphasised the important collaborative role that police officers and private sector software developers played in designing this system. And I think Microsoft is into it uh, in big time. And it says, uh, although novel surveillance technologies always prompt new questions about civil liberties, setting and enforcing appropriate limits on government collection of data, at least conceptually, present a very familiar challenge. With regard to searching an individual's home or listening to an individual's phone call, the government must usually have, I like the usually part, have sufficient suspicion of wrongdoing and obtain a warrant from a court. As a legal matter, the standard is generally whether an individual has a reasonable expectation of privacy. So that you understand, it doesn't matter what's written down on paper, they'll alter it or reword it or, or redecipher what the meaning is from the wording. A reasonable expectation of privacy. But anyway, I'll put this one up uh, tonight and also another one that goes along with it to show you that Bloomberg and his, buy, his boys, his buddies in New York here, are going to get a 30% kickback from all software that Microsoft uses to, to, to sell this whole program. It's always kickbacks, you see. Because we're, we're living with high gangsters on top of everything today. I mean, that's the truth, folks. You know, The gangsters are picked by the biggest gangsters on the planet. They're always chief international, for international affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. Same bunch. As I said, too, I'll put up that Harvard Law Review, too, on the right to privacy. It goes back to 1890, and it goes through it in good detail. Also, what I'll put up tonight, too, since you're not to worry about anything, all these drones flying up, they're for humanitarian. You know, people fall in the streets and things they can report back to ambulances and to help people, for goodness sake. And this one is Urban Combat, Confronting the Spectre from the Foreign Military Studies Office for Levensworth, Kansas. And it's from 1999. It's a very good article because it actually tells you here about urban warfare. And it ties in with all the massive amounts of ammunition the Homeland Security has bought recently because near the beginning of it, it talks about that, that... um, it says, urban combat has been a consistent throughout history. Its frequency and scale are likely to increase as emerging threats such as urban guerrillas, terrorists, and underdog armies seek cover in the cities. From early history on, urban combat has required masses of dismounted infantrymen, a significant amount of time, combined arms. Listen to this, combined arms. Meanwhile, new armaments are buying two new weaponry and rifles for the U.S., and astonishing quantities of ammunition. So now you know what the astonishing quantities of ammunition and the new weaponry is for, that they've ordered for Homeland Security. This is not for abroad, this is for home. <laughs> the salting force runs the risk of its own attrition by combat, insufficient supplies and epidemic diseases. Assaults on cities have resulted in heavy military and civilian casualties in shattered cities. Modern urban combat has often destroyed operations tempo, drained logistics of stockpiles, and ruined the reputations of promising commanders. So it's a, a, a good article to read through. I'll put it up tonight, just link it, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, to let you know what's coming down the pipe.
And the nutcase Hansen from NASA, you know, the guy who hates humanity, and there's too many people, and well, you know what he means is the wrong people that don't have that IQ that he thinks he's got. Uh, I, I mentioned who th- he thinks he's got. And he's a guy, too, who's done terrorist raids himself, of course, breaking down power stations and things like that, and riots. And he was quoted in full uh, by the CBC, the Communist Broadcasting Corporation of Canada, uh, that our government owns, uh, without any rebuttal or whatever by anybody else, because his, his, his cons his, are endless, this guy, with his data cons and so on. He doesn't use data. He doesn't need data. He, he just gets his name in the paper and out it goes. He says, Eric is, Hansen is simply wrong. Mr. Hansen is wrong, and his hypothesis is a complete and abject failure. And it says that there's a lot of blowback against James Hansen's recent non-tested PNAS paper trying to link weather and climate, and the links are on this article too, and I'll put this up at night too. Even NOAA, this is uh, scientist Dr. Martin Horling, is panning it, and it gives you the article from the New York Times. Dr. Horling contended that Dr. Hansen's new paper confuses drought caused primarily by a lack of rainfall with heat waves. Since this isn't a serious scientific paper, Horling said, it's mainly about perception, as indicated by the paper's title. Perception is not science. And that's true. It's emotion, you see. And says Hansen is simply wrong. wrong. Hansen claims that global warming is associated with increased drought in the U.S. This is a testable hypothesis which he chose not to test. And because PNAS isn't truly peer-reviewed reviewed for members like him, no one tested it for him. President stop him getting his name in the paper because he's one of the big boys, you see. It says, I've examined the, the, the drought data that are from the NCDC and the temperature record is Hansen's own. His hypothesis is a complete and abject failure. I'll put that up tonight too for those that want to go into that stuff. And big business, you know, big business hosting the G20. Now, the G20 is a club formed... Above all, everybody's constitutions or rights or whatever, and all you voters out there, that they just form themselves under the direction of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council of Foreign Relations. And these super clubs, you see, that you don't vote for, they just get together and, and suddenly they've got this club that drains money off your country and all the countries involved and, and supposedly throws it overseas to, because they like the Marxist part of it, of um, redistribution of wealth, you see to their own corporations overseas. But the security uh, training starts up as Cairns, this is in Australia, gears up to host G20 Summit in 2014. They're all already buying like crazy. You see all the armoured vehicles, the armies get, oh, yeah, for Homeland Security over there, for the G20. It costs billions now to host the G20. Just in security, never mind the, the, the big you know, hotels they go to and the, the fake houses they put up with swimming pools and, and fake lakes and the build like Canada did and all the rest of it. And they eat, really, you wouldn't believe, in a time of austerity. Bombs, it says, bomb sweepers, counterterrorism operatives and police commandos will begin training in the region in preparation for Cairns, most demanding security operation. A day after the city was announced as a host for the G20 finance ministers meeting in 2014, authorities have started planning the event's security. About 2,000 people, including delegates from the world's leading economies, will converge on the city for the meeting, which will be held ahead of the main G20 summit in Brisbane. with a private club, folks. This is a new feudal system. See, their members are your prime ministers and presidents of this club, you see. 
the Royal Institute for International Affairs and Council for Foreign Relations. It's one and the same club. None of you will get into it. In fact, you won't even get anywhere near it. You'll get shot or bashed over the head or whatever it takes, like it happened in Toronto. So private, you know, CEOs, uh, the leaders of the big economies, and the guys that you think you elect in uh, get together to plan again for the, the future, which is already planned, actually. They just go for a big feast and sign agreements that, that were drafted up years ago by what they call the Sherpas, the guys who do all the work back and forth between countries, getting it all uh, together. And so it's, so anyway, it says, the deployment of the National Counterterrorism Committee's $400,000 Bearcat armoured vehicle was the strongest indication that Cairns was in line to secure the high-level events. I've certainly given us new capacity, far northern region, Police Chief Superintendent Katarina Carroll said. It's all about machines and equipment, isn't it? I mean, the little children in this day with, with you know, there's just no maturity anywhere. But you could put the money to better use, like giving folk jobs. But then again, in Australia, they've got the Fabian in charge now for this part of it. And she's put more jobs out of the country than ever before. Anyway, she said security plans were already being put in place. There'll be hundreds of police from around the state, including specialist teams from Brisbane supporting us. There'll be an extraordinary amount of planning and training. And um, it says, in the bulk of the G20 security operations will centre around Brisbane, where up to 7,000 police officers and soldiers, riot specialists, rooftop snipers, fighter jets and specialists. This is your new world order, folks. This is your new, what you think of as democracy. You've never had democracy, but you still think you do. This is, this is it. You're all kept away. All the peasants are kept away. But you pay for it all. We always buy our chains. Back with more after this. I am Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the Matrix. And the media, too, puts out bite pieces. They call them bite pieces, where they put out something really controversial. No one will argue about it and get angry right away. That's why they put them out. But they're put out by marketing companies. Someone wants an idea put across to the public, you see. And if you notice, most of these articles, like the Daily Mail, it just says Daily Mail Reporter. It doesn't tell you which one. It's a handout. It's a handout to them all by the psychological, psychological associations, etc. The ones who are paid, along with the marketers, to put ideas out there. It's not joining Facebook as sign you're a psychopath. And Swedberg gets, oh, if I'm not on it, oh my God, I really resent that. And, and it's, that's how they get you biting on it and start, you start arguing. Some employers and psychologists say staying away from social media is suspicious, you see. You know, if you've got nothing to hide and all that. So it's become such a pervasive force in modern society that increasing numbers of employers, even psychologists, believe people who aren't on social networking sites are suspicious. Well, that'd be like most of your politicians and the ones that run you from the G20. They're not on it either, you see. But what it says here, uh, the German news magazine, their tag Spiegel, went so far as to point out that accused theatre shooter James Holmes and Norwegian mass murderer Anders Bering Breivik have common ground in their lack of Facebook profiles. Well, you see, it's like saying that, you know, if you drink vodka, you're a mass murderer like Stalin or Lenin. You, know. you see, it's just utter rubbish, in other words. 
But it's meant to try and get the, the cowed few that are still timid into Facebook because everyone must uh, have all your information up there for government reasons, not for any other reasons, for government, you see. But here's an article, the two I'll put up tonight, and it's called Refugee from Facebook Questions the Social Media Life. This is a woman who's dropped out of it, and she's one of the people up there at the top who worked with the company. And she says there's, there's no life at all uh, really uh, uh, to do with, with Facebook. You're not meeting real people. You're meeting just characters. It could be cartoon characters. Facebook itself has got over 80 million, remember, fake people in it, fake names and fake people. I read the article last week. So, and apart from that, it's part of the NSA. So, she goes through an article saying she's dropped out of it completely, and she wants to meet real people and have a, a real life, etc., etc., because what you're doing is living an artificial life in, in, in the ether land out there. And, of course, all your data is used by, they, use, they, send, they sell it to governments, they sell it to various universities to study your groupings and all the other stuff that you go into. And it's quite fascinating to see just how much they actually study you altogether. Also tonight, too, it's not just in the U.S. that they're going after raw milk farmers. Michael Schmidt, raw milk farmer, says federal inspectors raided his co-op. And it says um, it's in Ontario, Canada. So Michael Schmidt shares a glass of unpasteurized milk with former home on the range dairy operator Alice Jorgenden in front of Fraser's Health offices in Chilliwack Tuesday morning, it says. The interior farmer who's been in a long legal battle for selling and producing raw milk says a co-op farm he's involved with has been raided by federal inspectors. Michael Schmidt says members of the Canadian Food Inspection Agency seized computers and boxes of items from the farm northeast of Durham on Thursday. Schmidt, who recently, uh, recently won the right to appeal his conviction for producing, selling and distributing raw milk, raw milk says he may face new charges but he's not worried. The Canadian Food Inspections Agency office officials was only confirmed that the executed search warrant serves as part of an investigation into the removal of 31 sheep from an eastern Ontario farm on April the 2nd. Well, that was a different thing altogether, but they did want to come in and kill all these sheep in case they had a particular disease, I believe, and uh, they just disappeared, you know. So anyway, uh, that's the world you're living in, folks, and, and government is the boss. And the boss of government, of course, is a big institution with all its foundations. They're all Institute for International Affairs when it comes from foreign relations. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you.